If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Last Sunday, Father's Day and Bible Hour, we looked over some of the fruits of the Spirit, and this morning we continued in that. And what I'd like to do here in this message is to consider the fruits of the Spirit and then to look back into the Old Testament to a man who lived a life where we can see throughout his life from just a boy to an older man, the fruits of the Spirit lived forth. His name is Joseph. And so we're going to look here at the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, and then we will continue on back into the book of Genesis and survey the life of Joseph. So look with me in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit." Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another to envy, provoking one another, envying one another. Gracious God, we seek you in this time. We give thanks again for your dear Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside, the one who indwells us, who fills us. May we truly not just live in the Spirit, but walk in the Spirit. May we allow you, dear Spirit of God, to live in our lives and to control our lives. Work in our spirit, work in our bodies. Bring forth, we pray, these fruits. And Lord, I pray that today as we seek to understand them and as we seek to apply them and as we consider the example set forth for us in the life of Joseph, I pray that we will be able to see how you can live more Fill us more, bring forth more fruit in us and see ways that we can yield to you more and see you filling us. May we not quench you. I pray, Lord Jesus, Spirit of God, move now among us in our hearts and our minds. Teach us from your word we pray in your name. Amen. Here we see in this chapter the works of the flesh demonstrated laid out for us some pretty nasty things, 
some things of which many laws have been made against throughout the centuries. And then we see a list of fruits, fruits of the Spirit, fruits brought forth by the Spirit of God in the lives of believers. Fruits against such, there is no law. No law against these things, but we see them manifested. We had our little whiteboard here from last week and this week of the fruits of the Spirit set out for us. Many of you have memorized these two verses in Galatians that list these fruits. But do we live them? Let's see if we can set this up where it works. Do we live these fruits? Let's review them. Can we recite them with me aloud? We have... These are the fruits of the Spirit. Do we allow the Spirit of God to bring them all forth in our lives? Love, love, love. God is love. That's really the center of them all. He is love, and when he fills us, he brings forth self-sacrificing, self-giving care, love, for others. Joy, a joy that is existent even in the midst of pain, persecution, and trial. A joy, a peace, again, that no matter what we face, what we're enduring, there is a gentle peace that exists within our hearts and minds that is a fruit of the Spirit of God that not only is internal but results in external. Peace with God, peace with those around us, peace even with our enemies, which sometimes causes us to be long-suffering. Suffering long, an endurance of patience, even if it calls for us to suffer long. We have gentleness. Gentleness is a kindness, a tender-heartedness, a compassion that comes from the Spirit of God working in us as we interact with other people. When the Spirit of God lives within us, there will be goodness. This is all things good, both inside and outside. Loving of good, loving of good things, loving of good people. Not just of loving good things, but this speaks of character, that of responsibility, of truth, of faithfulness, of diligence, of all the character qualities you could imagine. They would be considered goodness. The Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, brings forth faith. This is a dependability. This is a truthfulness. This is a first, a faith in God, the one who is always faithful and true. And then it results in us as being a people who are truthful and also dependable. Faith. Then we have meekness. We looked at this one earlier this morning as meekness is a strength, a power, but it is, a, it is a controlled, gentle strength, even under immense pressure, meekness. And temperance, a little different than self-control. It literally means to be under control. Yes, it results in self-control, but if it's only self-control and is not spirit 
control, it will fail. Temperance, not a people who are temperamental, but people who are under control, under the Spirit's control. And we've seen each of these fruits of the Spirit, and we see them listed. But what do they look like? I'd like for us to take some time to look at a man named Joseph. We actually meet him back in the book of Genesis in the time of the patriarchs. His dad is Jacob, his grandfather is Isaac, his great-grandfather is Abraham. We meet him as a young boy. But you know, we don't only find the fruits of the Spirit in his story. We find an awful lot of the works of the flesh in his story. In fact, as we look at his story, we will see the two combined within a family. But before we dig into the history, I'd like to look at a particular, well, a particular observation made about Joseph. You may, and I hope you know the story of Joseph, recall that Joseph ends up before the king of Egypt. He ends up before Pharaoh. And if you take your Bibles and turn with me back to the book of Genesis, turn with me not to the beginning of the history, but kind of to the middle, in Genesis chapter 41. There comes a time in which Joseph is brought before the king of Egypt, the great and mighty Pharaoh. And that king has a very astute observation of Joseph. In Genesis 41, verse 38, it says, Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is? A man in whom the Spirit of God is. What did Pharaoh notice about Joseph? That in him, he a man, he had the Spirit of God. Now that's intriguing. Many times people think of the Old Testament, and yes, there's a distinction of how the Holy Spirit works in the Old Testament times and in the church times, but it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit wasn't very, very, very much active in the Old Testament. Here we see the Holy Spirit described as in Joseph. But it's interesting. You might say, well, that's just Pharaoh's personal opinion. Well, that might be so, except that if you turn back a page to chapter 39 and in verse 2, you will read this. And the Lord was with Joseph. Not convinced, look at verse 21 of chapter 39. But the Lord was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. And here's what's intriguing, is that a, a, a godless Pharaoh, king, was able to see in Joseph, and in his first meeting, was able to say, in this man is the Spirit of God. That's really my first application I'd like to share with you. This morning, do you have the Spirit of God living inside of you? The Holy Spirit of God takes up His abode and lives in you when you are baptized into Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in. And you might say, well, how do you get baptized into Christ? Well, very simply, by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, 
that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again, and that he alone can forgive your sins, and that he alone can give you everlasting life. When you believe that and believe in him, he gives you everlasting life. And you want to know who the everlasting life is or the earnest, the guarantee, the guarantor of eternal life? It's the Holy Spirit of God. He takes up a boat in your life and he lives inside of you to bring forth the fruits of the Spirit, these fruits in our lives. So the first question is, do you have the Spirit of God? And then my second question is, is that if you do, as you go about in your home, in your workplace, and anywhere you go, and you meet people, do they see in you that you have the Spirit of God? Do they see in you fruits of the Spirit to be able to know and identify the Spirit of God is in that person? It ought to be the case. It ought to be real. If we have the Spirit of God, and if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in Him. That means that we have life because of the Spirit of God. Do we live and walk through this life in Him, allowing Him to bring forth fruit and to control us? Let's look at Joseph here. Why and what led him to this point, standing before Pharaoh, that Pharaoh was able to see him and to say, ah, yes, this is a man in whom the Spirit of God is. Well, turn in your Bibles back to chapter 37, where we, where we begin to find this, the history of Joseph. And let me tell you, the history starts off with an awful lot of the works of the flesh, the ugly, ugly works of the flesh. It's interesting, it also, we were speaking last week of fathers and the role they have in their families. We, we see a father here who actually had a problem because as it begins in verse 3 of chapter 37, Joseph is 17 years old, and it is obvious to everyone that Jacob, his father, has favorites, and he loves Joseph more than the others. What you find here, actually, is not really genuine love. You might say, oh, here's the fruits of the Spirit, Jacob loving Joseph. Here's a false kind of issue with love. It, it, it was a love that was defective, that was obvious to the entire family. It was a problem. It was a problem that actually incited and carried out further a response in the family of hatred. You can see there in chapter 37 and verse 4, it tells us that when his brethren, Joseph's brethren, saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Here we can see now where there is actually the works of the flesh. Hatred an absence of the fruits of the Spirit, they couldn't speak peaceably to him. You see, this whole situation needs the Spirit of God in it. Jacob needs the Spirit of God. The brothers need the Spirit of God. And I say to you, Joseph also needs the Spirit of God. It's never particularly identified, but as we continue to read down through here, it seems as if Joseph had a little bit of a superiority complex. 
as he thought of himself more highly than he ought to have thought of, which incited some different responses among those who were here. We see here this, 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 this love that was there, but yet it, there was not a true, genuine love in the whole family. This was a favoritism kind of an issue kind of a thing, and it caused a, a hatred, and it caused a lack of peace. They couldn't even speak peaceably to one another. You know, in families, we may have conflicts, but we ought to be able to, and we should seek. Well, may I put, change that? We ought to yield to the Holy Spirit of God that when we speak, even when there is disagreement, we can speak peaceably. Well, in verse 5, it tells us that Joseph was dreaming dreams. And as he told of these dreams, we find out that it resulted in his brethren hating him yet the more. I told you this starts off with a lot of the works of the flesh. There's a lot of the works of the flesh going on in this. We continue down through as Joseph tells of his dreams, and nobody likes these dreams, and they're pretty significant for things bow down to Joseph, and Joseph is superior to his brethren, even superior to his mother and father. And we come to verse 11, and we find out that his brethren envied him. Yet again, another work of the flesh. They envied him. It's interesting, his father is observing all of this. Dads, we need to be observing, but not just as we are observing, we need to be taking the action in the Spirit of God that we ought to be taking. It's intriguing that Jacob saw what was going on, and he observed this, and he observed these dreams, and he was intrigued by these dreams, but he was not observant enough to see what it was doing to his family and how his whole family was responding, enough for him to take some action and leadership. What he needed is some meekness. Jacob actually needed some meekness. A question was asked in Bible Hour this morning, is meekness just being a pushover? Well, no, being a pushover is not meekness. Exactly the fruit of the Spirit needed in Jacob's life was for him to be meek, one where he had the strength to do what was right, even in the midst of his whole family against one of the family members. And the struggle of all of this, he needed to have the gentle strength under control to do what was right. Joseph was hated by his brethren. And as time went by, we find that Joseph was sent to, to talk to his... To, to, he was sent to the brethren, but there was a problem here because Joseph, um, interestingly, we find out back in verse 1, he, he was one who was of faith. He came and it says he brought an evil report of his brethren. And you might say, oh, well, how is that faith? Well, he was bringing back, he was sent to check on his brethren, and he came back with faith, speaking the truth. So much so that his father trusted him again to send him to check on his brethren. But you see, they did not have faith. Instead, they were obviously doing things wrong. And so the first time he comes back and brings back a faithful report, they hate him the more for it. And then as time goes by, he goes again to visit them, where they are out taking care of the sheep. And they see him coming, and they know he's this. They know they can't bribe him into telling dad a good report. They know they're not going to be able to get that accomplished. They know that they're going to be in trouble. And so we find out that they actually conspire against him to slay him. Yet again, a conspiracy to commit one of the works of the flesh. Not love, not a meekness, not a gentleness, not a goodness, but rather a hatred 
to slay him. There is no truth. There is no gentleness. And in fact, what ends up happening is that they decide to sell him as a slave instead of killing him. And so they collect money for his sale, and then they take his coat, his favored coat given to him by his father. He is carried away as a slave to the south, and then they take that coat, and they kill an animal, and they cover that coat in the blood of an animal, and they come back again. There's no faith in these men. These brothers of Joseph, they don't have this faith. They definitely don't have the gentleness, and they definitely don't have the peace, and they definitely don't have the goodness. And they come back to the Father, and instead of bringing a faithful, true report, they present to him the bloodied coat of his beloved son and lead him to believe that his son is dead, being slain by a wild animal. There is no faith there. There's no dependability in these. We see here in this family a lot of the works of the flesh. But what about Joseph? What about Joseph? Well, we find out that he's carried down to Egypt and he's sold to a governor in Egypt whose name is Potiphar. Meanwhile, in chapter 38, we have an account of Judah. And by the way, Judah commits a lot of the works of the flesh in that chapter as recorded. It's a terrible, dreadful account of his immorality. But then in chapter 39, we come back to Joseph. Joseph here in Potiphar's house. And we find out here in this chapter, in these first few verses, that Joseph has come to Potiphar's house. And, and don't miss verse 2 there. It says, and the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph, and I believe that Joseph was bringing forth these fruits of the Spirit, which resulted in Joseph being a prosperous man as he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. I believe this was a fruit of the Spirit, you might say, is here of goodness. There's a lot of elements of goodness that is good, and one of them is character. Joseph had character, and it was observed by his master in such a way that his master put faith in him. Why, I believe? Because Joseph had faith bringing forth in his life. He was a dependable man, and so faith was put in him by his master. His master put him over everything in the house, everything in the house. The only thing that Potiphar had to worry about was his menu. What a life. All he had to worry about is what he would eat. Everything else was taken care of. Why? I believe the reason why is because Joseph it says God was with him, and I believe it's because Joseph was yielded to the Spirit of God and allowed the Spirit of God to bring forth the fruits of the Spirit in him. 
There was faith and dependability in him. There was goodness in him. I am certain that in a position of such authority and power, he had meekness. He was under control with temperance. He had character. Joseph was exhibiting these things, and it resulted in him being elevated in position of authority. We find that the Lord blessed Joseph, and by extension in verse 5, blessed Pharaoh. That's one beautiful thing about the fruits of the Spirit is that when we are yielded to the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God is working in us and the fruits are coming forth from us, it will bring forth blessing to all those around us. It will bring forth blessing to all those around us. And that was the case here in Joseph's life. In verse 6, it speaks of him as a goodly person and well-favored. Well, goodly there is it speaking of him having goodness. It's goodly in the sense that he was good-looking. He was a handsome, handsome man and attractive. And he was one who was, had a great personality. And somebody noticed him, Potiphar's wife. And she sought to seduce him. And you know what? She did this over and over and over. And here again, we find Joseph exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. I believe there was some long suffering in this as Joseph sought to do his job and yet had to be a vigilant for the woman who was seeking to ensnare him. There was some long suffering involved there. I think there was some true love involved there. Joseph had an understanding of what real love was not some fainting, passing, immoral love. He knew what was true. He had a goodness about him. He had faith. He was dependable. And even when it came to a point where she thought she had him trapped, when he was alone in the house with her, no one else around, Joseph exhibited the fruits of the Spirit of goodness and of faith as he fled from her. He fled from her. He was then falsely accused. She flipped it, acted as if he was the aggressor and she was the victim. But he was falsely accused and then we find him again bringing forth in the midst of all of this a long suffering. Joseph is thrown into prison to be forgotten about. He goes from the second and the highest in the house, the powerfulest in this powerful man's home, ruling over the whole house. And now he's in prison. He is in prison. If you look there, it tells us in verse, chapter 39, verse 20, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But, do you see that next word? First word of verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. No matter where we find ourselves, whether we find ourselves as the CEO of a successful corporation or a falsely accused prisoner thrown in the worst of prisons, God is still with us. If you're a Christian this morning, he lives inside of you. It doesn't matter your circumstances or where you're at. He is living inside of you. He is your life. 
That was the case for Joseph here. Though he was put into prison, the Lord was with him. And as we keep reading, it says, and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And you know what we find? We find a Joseph who God is with, who is now long-suffering. And in the midst of his long-suffering, even though he has little strength, he still has meekness in the midst of this. He is still exhibiting faith. How do I know? Because he is considered dependable and meek enough that the ruler of the prison ends up putting him as a prisoner in charge of all the prison. A result of Joseph, I believe, living allowing the Spirit of God to live through him. This is a long-suffering. This is faith. This is goodness. Goodness in Joseph. And then we come to chapter 40. We come to chapter 40, and we find out that there's a butler and a baker of the king in prison. And um, Joseph has the responsibility of caring for these men. And it's intriguing as one day Joseph came to them, for it tells us in chapter 40, verse 6, and Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sad today? Do you know what I see in this? I see in Joseph a man who is a prisoner serving prisoners. I see joy. Do you? Here he is noticing that in these prisoners, they're sad, which implies that he is exhibiting joy in the midst of what he is facing. And in this, He's not only himself recognizing the importance of joy, even in prison, he demonstrates to them love. He demonstrates to them gentleness. How? He inquires. He notices that they're sad. He doesn't smart off at them. He doesn't sulk off at them. Instead, he shows gentleness and joy and love and goodness to these cranky men. Well, then he finds out what their situation is and finds out they, they got, they're pretty troubled. And God uses Joseph to resolve some situations for them. Well, really, they had a dream that troubled them, and God uses Joseph to, to interpret this dream. And as it turns out, one of them is going to get killed, executed, and the other one is going to be restored back to his position of honor in serving the king. And so Joseph, in this, gives them this interpretation. The one who's going to be restored to the king, he says to him, when you're restored, remember me, remember me. And he tells them of being falsely accused, it's implied, and appeals that they would appeal on his behalf to the king. And then we read a result of it when that butler was restored in the very last verse of chapter 40, verse 23, yet... Did not the butler, the chief butler, remember Joseph, but forget him? Here he is again now, having an opportunity to hope of being restored out of this prison, and he is forgotten to continue to suffer long. 
Do you think he was tempted to lose his peace? To be snippy and lose the gentleness? To lose control and become a very temperamental, troubled man? He's forgotten. You know how long he's forgotten? Well, if we look in chapter 41, it tells us, and it came to pass at the end of two full years. He was forgotten for two full years until Pharaoh has a dream, and oh yeah, the butler remembers he had a dream. Joseph! Joseph is called before the king. And we find here, as we read in all of this, Joseph and interprets the dream, and not only does he interpret the dream, but he then gives Pharaoh some suggestions of how he ought to respond to the impending famine that is coming that God has revealed to Pharaoh in this dream. And he gives him a plan. And as we then read in, in, in verse 37 of chapter 41, that the advice, the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, this advice that Joseph had given, was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of all his servant. Looky there we find a fruit of the Spirit exhibited in Joseph. Goodness. Here, it's goodness in an idea, goodness in wisdom, goodness in counsel, goodness in advice. And this is when Pharaoh made that observation we noted earlier when he asked, can we find such an one as this? Is a man in whom the Spirit of God is and so then, Joseph, knowing he that he is discreet and wise, he appoints Joseph over all of this task. And you know what happens is that over the next seven years, they begin to build up an abundance, and we find again the goodness of Joseph. But may I offer a suggestion? It wasn't the goodness of Joseph. It was the goodness of God who was with him. It was the goodness of God who gave him the good wisdom, the good counsel, the good strategy, the good plans. This was the fruit of him walking, living in the Spirit. He continued to exhibit faith, dependability, truth, in the one who was able to now lead an entire nation in preparing for a famine. And then when that famine comes, he continues to exhibit these fruits in the administration of that. Then as we turn the page, we come and we find out that um, Joseph has children. And this is interesting. If you look here at chapter 41 and verse 51, it says, And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. I think this is significant. I think this is a demonstration of Joseph bringing forth the fruit of peace in his heart and life. Forgetting. He is forgetting the turmoil of the past in the naming of his son, revealing that there is peace in his heart. Not just peace in the sense of, of no war, absence of chaos, but a peace in his heart of forgetting the trouble. He has a second son, verse 52, and the name of the second son called he Ephraim. And he said, For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. You know what I think this is? It's not only peace, 
This is joy. He is rejoicing in the fruitfulness that God has brought forth in his life, even though it is in the land of his slavery. He is at peace and able to rejoice in the midst of it, and he recognizes God in both the naming of his sons. As we continue here, and we see all this, we find Joseph continuing to be faithful, continuing to be true. But then he gets a visit from his family. You see, the famine was across the entire land, not just in Egypt, but up in Canaan where his family dwelt. And his siblings, all but his youngest brother Benjamin, come to Egypt looking for food, and they come into the very place where Joseph is at. Here Joseph now, the second most powerful man in Egypt. Will he be meek? Or is this the time for this powerful man to unleash the fury deserved upon these hateful, spiteful, envious brothers? There's some intriguing things that Joseph does in this chapter, and we don't have time this morning to go into it, so I beg you to go home and read it. And the way that he interacts with his brothers demonstrates an incredible meekness and wisdom. He brilliantly engages with them, even though he himself knows their treachery they had committed against him and is within his full power, especially in that time period and in the way which they lived, to unleash the full might of Egypt and the torture and killing of these who had sold him into slavery. But he exhibits meekness, brilliantly gentle, controlled strength. You might say, what's so gentle about putting one of his brothers in jail? Ah, yes, very gentle compared to what he could have done. And the wisdom of it is brilliant as he is testing and trying and seeking to understand his brothers. And all through that process, you know what we find showing up? Love. In spite of his brothers hating him from a child, he still loves them. He has a tenderness. He has a gentleness towards them. In spite of putting Simeon in prison, he has a gentleness towards them because he's here in a spirit of meekness seeking to restore his brethren. He weeps for them. In fact, as time goes on, we find out that they buy their food and he puts the money they paid for their food back into their sacks, gives them the food for free. I don't think that comes naturally as a work of the flesh. I'm convinced that was that God was with him and Joseph was allowing God to use him to show a gentleness, a goodness, a love in response to these brothers who hated him and had so viciously betrayed him and sold him as a slave. I hope you know the history. The family goes back. They find this money. They're horrified, afraid that they're in trouble. Time goes by. They eat up all of the food, but Joseph gave them a restriction. He says that Simeon stays here, and when you come back, you're going to bring your youngest brother with you. We don't have time to go into all of the details, but there's a bit of a trouble and a problem there in all of that and trying to get dad, Jacob, to let Benjamin, the favored now youngest son, 
go to Egypt with these brothers whom I think dad suspected as being treacherous brothers. But in the midst of that, we find well, another fruit of a spirit and another one. Remember, I mentioned Judah before. He had committed these works of the flesh. In the midst of here, we see Joseph in strong moral integrity, and we see J Judah in, in serious immorality. In this point, we begin to see Judah develop what he had lacked before. We find him developing faithfulness because in the end, Jacob releases his son into the care of Judah. And as you know, the story continues. Judah himself exhibits faithfulness and offering himself in the place of his younger brother. Again, a beautiful illustration of one who is now showing himself faithful and exhibiting goodness. These men come back to Egypt now. Joseph again has within his full power to just kill them all. But in this we see again the incredible working of the Spirit of God in Joseph's life as he exhibits love and as he exhibits peace and as he exhibits goodness and gentleness. He feeds them. He lavishes wealth upon them. He weeps over them. When they go back home, he yet again in his meekness and goodness of wisdom again tests, tests them, tests them to see if they've changed. And he discovers that they have. And then he reveals himself to his brethren and he beseeches them to go home, tell their father that he yet lives to bring their father to Egypt for there are five more years remaining of famine. And that's what happens. Joseph exhibits to them kindness and gentleness. He shows to them love. He extends to them peace, though he is one who has long suffered. Using meekness, he restores his brethren. Just like we learned in Bible Hour this morning in Galatians chapter 5, we have the works of the flesh, the fruits of the Spirit, and then in chapter 6, it goes into the, if, if any of you have a brethren that is overtaken in a fault, ye that are spiritual, ye that are filled with the Spirit and bringing forth the fruits of the Spirit, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. That's exactly what Joseph did with his brothers. God was with Joseph. I believe bringing forth these spirit fruits these fruits of the Spirit in Joseph's life. And Joseph used that not to alienate his brethren, but to restore them. Time went by and Joseph's father dies. Brothers are afraid. They're concerned that perhaps all this favor, this kindness shown to them is only because of their dad. And so they come to him in Genesis chapter 50. It tells us in Genesis 50, verse 15, and when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, Show so you say to Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sins, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of thy servants, of the God of thy father. Will Joseph? Was this all just a show because of his favored relationship with his father? Will Joseph now, when dad's gone, exhibit the fruits 
of the Spirit? Will he demonstrate to his brethren love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance? Will he act upon these? And his brother, he, we know, has suffered long. All this. Will, will he now in all of this show it? When this message comes and Joseph hears it, if you look there at the end of verse 17, it says, and Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Do you know what I see in that? I see goodness. I see gentleness. I see love. I see peace. His brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, We behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Do you know what I see summed up in that little last conclusion? The Lord was with Joseph. And in the end of all that, all of these fruits came forth and were harvested in the life of Joseph. God was with Joseph. Is the Lord with you? If you're a believer today, he sure is. Absolutely he is. And you have a choice. Will you let the Spirit of God fill you and bring forth these fruits? Or will you quench them like kinking a hose and live life the way you want to live? You know what that will just result in? the grieving of the Holy Spirit of God. We have the choice. It is up to us. Will we, believing, be filled with the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, or will we quench Him and do things our own way? In the moments of our life, when we see the works of the flesh being manifested, or an absence or famine of these fruits. It's a warning to us that we are quenching him. And so if we see an absence, a famine of these fruits, be alert. That's a sign of quenching. That's the moment in which we need to surrender. We need to yield. We need to be filled with the Spirit and walk in him. It's our choice, whether by unbelief to quench him or by faith belief to walk in him. We've seen Joseph. Joseph was by no means a perfect man. But I'll tell you, there is a perfect man 
Jesus Christ is perfect. And as we look at his life, we can see these fruits abundant in his life. You know, we talk about the abundant life. This is the abundant life. This is a part of it, a huge part of it. These fruits abundantly coming forth in our lives. When we walk in the Spirit, these will be abundant in our lives. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit by faith. For just as it tells us back in Galatians, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. For Paul wrote, For this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Gracious God, we give thanks to you again for your dear Holy Spirit. May we this day, each one of us, realize that our life is in you. You are our life. And may we not just realize and recognize that as a state or a reality, but as an experience and walk in it day by day. Dear Spirit of God, move within each heart here this morning. I know there are some here this morning who have not believed in the Lord Jesus, who have not had their sins forgiven and where you do not live. I pray that you would work in those hearts, that each one here this morning would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. For Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you that you have done all that is required. And we but simply trust Lord Jesus, I praise you for my brothers and sisters here today. I praise you and thank you for each one. Lord, you know each one of our hearts. Holy Spirit, you know where you are being quenched. Lord, move among us. May we be a people who are filled with you, who bring forth abundantly these fruits of your spirit. Move among us. Do the work, dear gracious spirit, that only you can do. And may we be a people revived and filled with your spirit. We seek you now and praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.